But Christmas is coming. In less than a week. How many days? Six days. In six days, Christmas is coming. And just over six years ago, my sister had her first real wedding. She got married the first time. Her husband was a... I don't have any nice words, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, and he, they ran off and got married. and They came to visit me and then ran off and got married on the way home. I don't know why they just didn't let me marry them. But, because I wouldn't. Um, but there's, there's always that. Um, so, but just over six years ago, my sister had her first wedding. And, and due to the pattern of life, my, my parents weren't able to be there. Because dad passed in 2008. Mom passed in 2012. Um, so I set out to find ways to be sure their presence was felt in their absence. Um, I, <coughs> I had an old holster of my dad's and I took it apart and used the leather and I used the cover that used to be on the family Bible. Don't stone me, but I did. Um, and made a bouquet holder her to have her bouquet as she walked down the aisle. I uh, searched out my dad's cologne, which is harder to find than I would have thought, and uh, I walked her down the aisle and turned around and married her. Um, but I wore his cologne on that day. I did all the things that I could do to make sure that their presence was, was felt in this ceremony, to make sure that she knew that they were still a big part. And I thought about that story quite a bit uh, as we have examined the red thread in the Old Testament. You know, peeking at the presence, this, this series we're in reveals us how God was making his Jesus' presence known long before he came on the scene. Just those little snippets, those little things. And this week we end our series with probably the most remarkable and complete picture of Jesus found in the Old Testament. In our text today, Israel has escaped Egypt crossed the Red Sea, met with God, received the Ten Commandments. They're, they're essentially preparing to start their new destiny as the nation of God. And God gives them some instructions in Exodus chapter 25. Very short passage. Uh, so let's, let's just read it. Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9. It says, They are to make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle, as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel with the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people say. Amen. Our text is short this morning only because... We're going to look at the command given there rather than the complete description. Um, all the details I'm going to discuss this morning are contained in Exodus 25 through 30. I didn't think we wanted to read five chapters this morning from the pulpit. Um, but I would encourage you to go back and, and look. Because we're going to not do every detail, not everything. It would take weeks. We don't have that kind of time. But this morning, we're going to get a general overview of what the tabernacle contained and what the tabernacle was. You know, the, the thing about the tabernacle is that every part of the tabernacle helped to paint a picture of Jesus. 
It, it was every part. There was no part that, that didn't in some way allude to who Jesus is. It, it, it's very foundation. It's, it's very character. Uh, this is a general overview again, so we won't see every detail about Jesus' picture, but we'll see these major points. So our question becomes, how does this tabernacle depict Jesus? And how are the tabernacle and Jesus the same? What is it about these two? Because this picture is here, and there are so many parts. And I put the, the notes together, and I was like, I don't know how they're going to fit on one sheet, because there's just way too many things here. Uh, and so... I apologize for the lack of space this morning. But as we come to these things, the first thing, the tabernacle really stands out, and I love, because this is where I go back to the, to the King James, but both the tabernacle and Jesus are God in the midst. Emmanuel is God with us. I love the King James in, in the book of John because it says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. I read the Old Testament sometimes a little differently than a lot of people do because I don't know for sure in my own mind that God ever really wanted the temple. God wanted the tabernacle. The reason being is the tabernacle can move with the people. You know, David was the one who says, God, I've got a house. You need a house. God was fine with the tabernacle. He liked the fact that it moved around. And when we see Jesus tabernacling among us, the Word becomes flesh and lives with us. It's a moving, living, breathing God-man who walks away. The tabernacle was built in such a way to help Israel understand the holiness of God and His presence with Him. Both were equally important. There is this... Um, this movement, for lack of a better word, a few years ago, that Jesus is my humble. Okay? But that's only half the picture. You, you can't remove some things. And sometimes I believe <coughs> in churches, we, uh, we do an injustice because we focus sometimes too much on the friend that we have in Jesus and not enough on the Lord that we have in Jesus. And the tabernacle is painting this picture. We cannot picture God as mundane and common, yet we also can't picture God as aloof and unapproachable. God was both. God was holy and He was set apart, but He was also there with His people. The tabernacle was built so that Israel could see His holiness as well as His approachability. Because until the tabernacle was built, there was nowhere for them to go that they knew they could talk to God. There was nowhere that they could go that they knew that God would be. Throughout the Old Testament up until that point, we would see that God would speak to people in different places, but you never knew where he was going to show up. It was just kind of like that cat on the internet that pops up in all the meetings. You never know where he's going to show up at. He's always showing up somewhere. God, before the tabernacle, he didn't know where God was going to show up. But whenever the tabernacle came, Israel knew, if I need to see God, I can go to the tabernacle because this is that place. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the marriage of the holiness of God with this sinlessness, his ability to tap into the spirit, his control of the natural forces, but also God's approachability. Jesus was approachable. He was there. He was God in the flesh. Isaiah 53, 2 says, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. <laughs> 
Jesus looked like everybody else. We hardly ever see ugly pictures of Jesus. You ever thought about that? Jesus is beautiful in those pictures, right? He's got long, flowing hair. He's got blue eyes. He's looking off in the distance and the light's shining on him. But according to the Bible, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was just like everybody else. It wasn't that you looked at him and went, ah, that's Jesus. Remember the story of Nathaniel when he walked up and just could anything good come from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? This guy? They had heard of Jesus. They knew this guy was walking around. They hadn't heard about him, but that guy, there's no way that guy is the Messiah. He's not it. He was something different. So he was here and he was approachable. That's what happens so often. Did you know, have you noticed that many of us don't wear suits anymore to church? I wonder why. It's not very approachable, is it? It's not approachable. When someone comes in who is struggling with something, if everybody in here is wearing a suit and a tie and everything else, I mean, that's not approachable. You don't want to talk to somebody in a suit and a tie. My doctor didn't even wear a suit and a tie. I mean, maybe a case, I don't know. Sportscasters do. Do you trust sportscasters these days? So, I don't know. But approachability. We're, we're, we're called to be that. God was living in the midst of his people, both in the tabernacle and in Jesus. And the parts of the tabernacle all point to Jesus. The first part you have is the courtyard. That was the part where the Israelites were allowed to be. They could go there. The outer place of God's grace. The courtyard had one door to enter, just as Jesus is the only way to God. Only one way into the presence of God. When they came to the tabernacle, they, they couldn't go over or go under or come out on his sides. There was one door to walk in. There was one way to get there. And you had to go through that door. Jesus in John 10 says, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus was approachable. Just as the courtyard was the place where Israel could approach God. They knew they could go there. It was a place they could go and be safe. It was just for them to stand. Jesus was the door, the access to God's presence. That's, that's what the courtyard was. There was a door there. One way in. Only one way. It made a place for people to approach God. And inside, as you see, as you walk in the doorway, you would have the brazen altar, which was the place where sacrifice was offered for sin as Jesus would become our sacrifice for sin. The first thing you saw when you walked in was the altar sitting there, this great big bronze brazen altar that was there in order to take the sacrifice of sin for the people. When you walk into the presence of God, the first thing you're going to see is the need for sacrifice. You're walking into His presence to give a sacrifice. You're walking into His presence to accept something from Him. You're not walking into His presence just because you want to hang out with Him. Hey, Jesus, you're my homeboy, right? No. You're walking into the tabernacle to come and be in the presence of God. And usually you only come to have your sins forgiven. That's why you're there. You walk up to have your sins forgiven. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus pointed people toward his sacrifice. He would always say, he would allude to things and the disciples would go, what is he talking about? What does he mean by that? And they would, you know, they would get, they would, you know, how many times did we see Peter say, no, no that's not going to happen, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The sacrifice is coming. It's got to happen. You know, there's, there's that meme out there that Batman meme where Robin goes to say 
Mary, did you? And Batman slaps him and says, Yes, you do! Mary, did you not? Let me write that down. Don't, don't preach that again. <laughs> Jesus pointed towards that. He always pointed towards the sacrifice. He always pointed towards what was going to happen. He kept his people's eyes on his work as a sacrifice for sin to come. And I realized this morning, as I was back there going over my notes, that I didn't put a sock in this next thing yet. It's the basin. <laughs> It was the ceremonial washing before the sacrifice, the place where you would go and you would wash to, to, to be clean, to go make your sacrifice as you walked into the courtyard. This symbol of, of new life and cleanness. Jesus washes us by his sacrifice, bringing new life and forgiveness. The basin was there to remember to be washed, to remember to be cleansed, to remember to, to wash off the sin of the world as you approach God, as you got closer to God. Jesus is that sanctification. He is that washing. He is that cleansing. And then there was that place, a holy place. This was a spot where only some of the priests were allowed in. Only some. Not all of them. You know, there was a, a very much a caste system in, in ancient Israel. You had some priests who could go into the holy place and some priests who could not. And the holy place reminded people that, that there was a spot that, that, that was set apart for God, that was set apart to, to be only for Him and only for those whom He had chosen to be there. Through Jesus, common man becomes holy man, set apart as a nation of priests, allowed in the holy place. When Peter says in his epistle that you are a holy royal priesthood, he is painting this picture of the holy place is not off limits anymore. The holy place is within you. And you are always in the presence of God. There in the holy place you had the lampstand, this great big lampstand, which was a reminder of God's light in the darkness that was fully realized in Jesus. The bride and morning star. It's that, that star at the end of the day, at the end of the night, that reminds you that the day is coming. The darkness won't remain. See, Jesus is. That's the lampstand. The table of showbread. We're going through this quickly, I know. This was the 12 loaves of bread for the 12 tribes that all point to the bread of life. You came into the holy place. There's the showbread that points to this is the bread of life. Who is the bread of life? Jesus. I'm the manna from heaven. The altar of incense. Incense always symbolizes prayer. It's a picture of prayer. You ever watch smoke? You just sit around and watch smoke go up. And how it just kind of trickles up and up and up and then it's falling. That's what incense was about. Incense symbolized prayers to God that later Jesus would command people to do. When you pray. You ever notice Jesus said those things? Baptists don't like this one. Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give. There was never any ifs there. It was always when. And he would say, when you pray, go into your closet and pray in private. Where your heavenly father who sees you in private can answer your prayers. Or when you pray, pray in this way. The, the incense 
showed them that prayers to God were given from this spot, and that spot now is within us. And then you have, of course, this last, this place within the Holy of Holies. There's the Holy Place, and then there's the Holy of Holies. The Holy Place, some priests can go in. The Holy of Holies, only one. One guy gets to go in one time a year. One time a year he would go in. There's, there, there were bells. There were bells on the roof. So they could hear that they were in there and still moving. Because they were afraid God was going to smack them dead. And they would walk in with a rope tied around them. So that if God smoked them in the Holy of Holies, I ain't walking in there to get him. So I'm going to pull that rope and bring him back out. And take care of him that way. Because the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. That's where God lives. That's where God was. Remember over in, in there in the Exodus again, Moses is like, please just let me see your face. And he said, you can't see my face. You will not. You can see my back though. You'll see my back. This is where God lived. That's what Israel thought. This is where God's presence was. And Jesus tore that veil, allowing access to that spot to everyone who would believe the Holy of Holies was separated from sinful man. It was separated from anything that could defile it. When we see all these things that, that are talked about in, in, in some of the prophecies and some of the prophets about desolating the holy place, it was this, it was this idea of you cannot touch that because it becomes sinful. And this is the place where holy God lives. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through to the heavens... Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. The curtain was torn in two. Jesus' body allows us presence. The Holy of Holies is no longer in Jerusalem. It's right here. The Holy of Holies is within us. The presence of God where He lives. They really believe that, that, that God's foot, His toe, touched down there. Because the next part is the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies. For a lot of them, they began to idolize the ark. To them, the ark meant God. We saw that sometimes when, when, when the ark was around, people would be blessed, and whenever it wasn't around, they wouldn't be blessed. But the ark of the covenant was the presence of God, the very presence of God. And Jesus was the man who was also the presence of God. And the ark could be moved, just like Jesus moved. It was the footstool of his God, the throne of his grace, where forgiveness is obtained. Where the blood from the sacrifice was sprinkled to pay for the sins of the people. The throne of grace. The true throne. And Jesus is that true throne. He's not a shadow. It's where the blood was shed. Jesus shed his own blood. He became that ark. He became that place. His blood was shed to bring grace to all who receive it. Now this isn't a complete picture by any means. There's so many parts of the tabernacle. And we don't want to be here till New Year's. Most of you know. I'm not. But... There's every measurement, every material. Everything in the tabernacle had a reason and a purpose that pointed to Jesus, the true tabernacle of God. So why is all this important? <coughs> you may be going, I'm really trying. That's a whole other stuff, and it's really neat, but you ever walked away with something like that? You, you could say yes, because I've walked away with something like that. I've preached it before I walked away, but what would have to do with it? So why is this important? What does it matter since we already have the true power? 
Verse 8 said what? They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. That's here. There's this much more that happens. Here, God says, make a sanctuary so I can dwell among them. God has always wanted to be in your life. When you have loneliness, when you have pain, when you have struggle, when you have heartache, find comfort in this, that God from the very beginning desired to dwell with His creation. He never desired for them to be alone. He never desired for us to walk by ourselves through all the stuff that happens in this world. He promises that in the Old Testament. He comes near in the Gospels. And in Revelation, we're promised the time when the dwelling of God is with men. God is the God who draws near. That's what He does. That's His very nature. He draws near. We have a tendency to put Him out there somewhere, but He draws near. He calls us to Him. He wants to walk with us. He wants to live within us. He didn't create you to leave you alone. He created you to live with you and among you and within you. That's the message of Christmas. He came to be here, to walk among us. The true gift of Christmas is not what we take out of the box, but what we take into ourselves. Holiness. Righteousness. And the love of a Creator who crossed the greatest divide to be with you. Will you let Him dwell in you today? I mean, really dwell. <laughs> When you live with somebody, things have to change. Right? Amen. Whether you get married, you know, most of you husbands who have your wives here, I gave the Christmas cards to the wives this morning. I'm smart, I know. Things change. And when you have kids, they change again. If God is dwelling within you, things are going to change. Things are going to change. He's going to move things around. He's going to put things in a different place. And, and, and you may get frustrated with that. You, you ever get frustrated because your spouse moves your stuff? All the men are going, yes. All the women are going, no. Nothing ever gets moved. Yeah, we, we all do. We all get frustrated at times when we go, well, where, where did that go? Or if you have kids, it's even worse, right? Because I don't know where any of my tools are. Because they're all always used over there. They never put them back. So I'm going to do a project and I go across the... I have to clean the house before I can mess it up so that I'll have tools in order to do my project. That's the way it works. All that to say, Jesus dwelling in you changes things. Is He really dwelling in you today? Is He rearranging your life? Is He rearranging the things that you don't like? Is he rearranging the things that you like and you don't like that? Because sometimes that happens too. God says, huh, nope. It happens in cartoons, right? They're going to work on something. We don't need this. Well, that's the carburetor. You need that. You know? Jesus, I like that. You don't need it. When Jesus is dwelling in you, something happens. Something changes. It's amazing. You don't see things the same way you used to see them. You see things that you used to think might be funny and you go, 
That's just simple. Will you allow them to dwell in you today? Really dwell? To take up residence? To tabernacle within you? Are you willing to take him everywhere you go? Everywhere you go? That's hard sometimes, right? Because some people, they, they, they hear that you're a, they hear that you're a Christian and they change. Because I can't show them who I really am. Y'all ain't met my family. I, I don't care. You know, this morning, as we have one week till Christmas, you might be struggling today. You might be hard to get to that point of joy this year. I've struggled with that this year. For the first year. For the first year ever, I've struggled with that this year. Carrie, in the middle of October is going, are you ever going to get the tree out? I don't know. I will at some point. I know y'all are going October. Yeah, but you know, I used to have it out in September, ready to go in October. We didn't put it up until November. Just couldn't get there. Maybe you're struggling this holiday season. It's time to say, okay, I'm going to let God do what God's going to do because I'm going to let him dwell in me and take over this. Maybe, maybe you're hurting for people around you. There are a lot of people in this world who, who don't have it as good as we have it. Maybe this morning you just want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to turn to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one who came to sacrifice himself for you to take up residence. Now's the time. Now's the time. What better time to accept Jesus and have him be born in your heart than when we celebrate the season of his birth? Now's the time. Just come down the aisle and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.